privacy policy in terms and conditions posted at textplan.us. Texting and rules for occurring automated text marketing messages. Message and data rates may apply. Reply stop, opt out. The pandemic has been hard on all our kids. New studies show more than one in three children who started school in the pandemic now need intensive reading help. That's right. Millions of kids in kindergarten through third grade in the United States cannot read at grade level. Here's the good news. Your child can be reading in just 30 days, guaranteed, with Hooked on Phonics. Even if your child has been struggling, Hooked on Phonics will teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. And right now, you can get started for just $1. Text the word GRADE to 323232 right now. Hooked on Phonics is highly effective and incredibly fun. And everything can be done right from home and in less than 20 minutes a day. For more than 30 years, Hooked on Phonics has been the proven learn-to-read program that kids love to use. Text GRADE to 323232 and teach your child to read in just 30 days, guaranteed. Text GRADE to 323232 right now and get started for just $1. Text GRADE to 323232 now. Text GRADE to 323232. Lucky Land Slots, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the rebranded Sunday show. This is the first episode of the Sunday Zone, hosted by myself and Jess Myers and our guest... Our guest is Jimmy Fritz. Welcome to the Sunday Show. Uh, today we're going to be introducing uh, or interviewing uh, Jimmy Fitz, uh, and um, you, you are musician, author. Um, I was reading so much about you. You have a lot going on, so it's nice to meet you. Um, what is the title of your new book? Can you tell us a little bit about your new book? <clears throat> the title of my new book is "Confessions of an Ethical Drug Dealer." Yes. And it, uh, it's a journey both geographical and philosophical, sharing a half century of ventures in buying, selling and consuming psychedelic drugs. Uh, says on the back cover, along the way, we learn the difference between smart drugs and dumb drugs, the truth about religion and how to make a perfect cup of tea. <clears throat> so it's got something for everybody. <laughs> yes, it does. Yes. And, and what what brought you to be compelled to write this? Well, it's just a story of my uh, 50-year journey with psychedelics. Uh, one of the reasons was just to document, you know, because I've had many adventures in many different countries, just to like document my uh, my travels and experiences, but also to present a realistic view of psychedelic drug use. 
because uh, drugs, as you know, has, has had a pretty bad rap over the years. You know, they've been demonized and vilified. And um, this was a more realistic look, because in my life and, and in the lives of pretty much everybody I've ever known, uh, psychedelics have been a huge boon and they've been a huge advantage. They've improved and enhanced the quality of my life. And uh, so this is a more realistic view of uh, responsible and, um, you know, uh, and uh, profitable drug use, basically. As a counterpoint Absolutely. to all the hysteria that's, that's, I, that we hear. Yes, there's such a, a horrible stigma against that. And that's awesome that you wrote this and can shed some light on that. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you because, uh, two, I, I have a question for you. I wanted to see if you had any information on this. Um, two of my boys are on the autism spectrum. And I've just been reading studies lately um, about um, in the urine, they're finding, um, I can't remember the exact term, but there's a specific uh, component um, to psychedelic plants that they're finding in the urine of individuals with autism. Have you heard anything about that? I've heard that there's a recent study going on in the UK uh, with uh, psychedelics and autism. I think they're using... Uh, LSD and uh, it can rewire the brain. I mean, what LSD basically does is it, it rewires your neuro pathways. It makes neuro, ne makes neuro nets for the same, you know, experiences that you have. When we have an experience, we map it with this neuro, neuro net with a, you know, a, a pattern mm -hmm. of neurons that fire. And then that experience becomes familiar. When we do psychedelics, it rewires that process. So we experience things in a different way. And uh, autistic people, you know, arguably are experiencing the world in a different way. And one of the things that LSD can do and has been shown to do is actually, you know, repair dendrites, uh, repair neurons and uh, make new, new neural pathways for the same experiences so that uh, you can experience the world in a, in a different way. So it's it's early days for that research, but it is uh, it is interesting that that there is there is psychedelic research going on for autism, and many many other things. You know, there's a lot mostly depression and uh, anxiety, end of life issues, but there are studies going on all over the world now. The University of Texas, uh, Stanford University, University of Toronto, John Hopkins University, they all have uh, they all have centers of psychedelic study now, so centers for psychedelic medicine. And so all these things are being looked at. I mean, they've been illegal for the last, you know, 50, 60 years. So it's been hard to do any legitimate research. But now that uh, that's lifting, now that these, these drugs are actually getting licensed by the FDA and uh, Health Canada and the NH, uh, NHS in uh, UK and other countries, now we've got the first, for the first time, we have legitimate research going on. So we've yet to discover exactly what they're going to be used for. Uh, MDMA, for instance, will become a prescription drug for PTSD in the next year. That's been ongoing for 25 years. MAPS is, uh, MAPS is an organization out of California run by a guy called Rick Doblin. It's the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And they've been um, trying to get MDMA approved as a, as a prescription medication for PTSD for 25 years. And it's just this year, just last year, in fact, they were given, they were fast-tracked by the FDA for, uh, you know, a substance with exceptional potential, and they fast-tracked it to, to prescription. So um, in the next year, in the next probably 12 months, 18 months, 
it will be a prescription medication for MDMA. Doctors in Canada have just been licensed and just in the last month, uh, Health Canada has licensed doctors to prescribe psilocybin and MDMA. And they're making wow. it too, so they have a safe supply as well. It's huge what's going on right we now. Really There's a revolution, revolution in psychedelic psychotherapy that's happening all around the world right now. It's a very exciting time to uh, be interested in psychedelics. <laughs> Absolutely, so absolutely. So I hope my book will ride that wave of interest. And everybody will pick up a copy of Confessions of an Ethical Drug Dealer by Jimmy Fritz, available at fine bookstores everywhere. Yes, they should. Absolutely. Uh, the uh, the study I was referring to um, is at the it's PubMed.gov, um, and which is the National Library of Medicine by NIH. And it says right. elevated urine levels of, I don't know how to pronounce this word, bufotenine, B-U-F-O-T-E-N-I-N, yeah. are the found one that's in five, It's 5-M-E-O-D-M-T. It's found in uh, in the toads. That's what they get. That's what you get from toad venom. Is the yes, they're finding, this naturally, they're finding this naturally in urine of patients with autism and schizophrenia. Right that there's yeah. that they're finding this in their urine naturally it's fascinating that there's so there's some aspect to the that's proof that there's some aspect to the brain that can be tapped into on a physiological and biological level you know that makes that yeah. connection with the the plant human connection you know? yeah these things are like the it's first clue you know once you have that clue then you have to figure out the pathways and the, what what what's happening in the brain and um so yeah, we're uh, we're making huge strides in these areas right now. It's very exciting what's going on. So maybe to help people feel a little more comfortable and help bend the stigma a little bit, could you take us through through and what someone could expect during experience? Maybe how if they wanted to try it, or how can they try it if they want to try? Um, what does it feel like? What can they expect? What are the positives and negatives? With which, with which drug? With psychedelics. Well, there's there's a lot of different psychedelics. You can pick it, one to start. Whatever you feel will be a, a, a good one to start. Yeah. Well, the first thing is to make the distinction between psychedelics and the addictive drugs like uh, crack and meth and heroin and cocaine and the opiates. These are all, you know, what I glibly describe in the in the book as smart drugs and dumb drugs. So smart drugs increase your perception and awareness of the world and therefore enhance your experience of, of, of your, you know, yourself and your life. And uh, the dumb drugs mask, they're masking symptoms and they're masking, you know, stuff that you don't want to deal with. And so these are two very different classes of drugs. So we have, first of all, we have to distinguish between those two categories. Uh, psychedelics are, have a lot of different uses. If you want to do psychedelics therapeutically, though, you have to do it with therapy. It's called um, in integration therapy. So what you do is you have an experience with psilocybin or LSD. You have your experience. You don't do therapy while you're, while you're high. You have that experience. And then you sit with the therapist afterwards and you deconstruct it and you integrate that experience into your life. And, and it changes your perception and awareness of your problems and gives you a new, a new outlook on it. So it can be very, very effective. But it's, you know, it's not just... Um, Psychedelics on their own are not specifically, you know, not they're not targeted therapeutics as such. They just put you in a very, very receptive state where you can 
rewire your brain and then you can do what you want with it. I mean, it's a very different if you do, uh, you know, if you do LSD with a, with a therapist or if you do two hits of LSD and go see a horror movie. <laughs> very different experience. <laughs> Same drug. <laughs> so Absolutely. you have to be you have to be careful about thinking about these the, the psychedelics as a, as a panacea or as something that you can just you know you just take lsd and you're going to be cured of something it doesn't work that way you still need the therapy but what it does is it, it puts you in a you know somnambulic state a very receptive hypnotic state almost where you can uh, you're very you're much more much more open and receptive and you of course you can see your own problems objectively rather than just being lost in the subjective experience, you actually get a more expansive view and you get an objective perspective on your, uh, on your issues. And then you can figure out a way of dealing with them with a therapist. Now I've never done psychedelics therapeutically per se, because um, I've never needed therapy, <laughs> but uh, I know a lot of people think that everybody needs therapy, but I don't subscribe to that. Uh, I don't subscribe to that at all. So, I've always used them recreationally, and that's and so that's my really my area of expertise. Although I'm, you know, I have a lot of knowledge. I get, um, I get, you know, a hundred newsletters on psychedelic therapy, so I'm pretty well up on the subject. But having have not done therapy myself, for me they're uh, for me they're just inspirational, inspirational, creative. You know, they enhance they enhance my my life in many ways, and different drugs in different situations. But um, yeah, it's. Um, it's um, nothing is nothing but good has come from it. I, I do I do outline one bad experience in the book, which was my first LSD trip, which was a horror show. And it was just I put it in there because it was a it was the only bad experience I've ever had with any drug. And B, because it was a perfect example of what not to do. <laughs> you know, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what the drug is. You're in the wrong time. You're in the wrong place. You're with the wrong people. It's the wrong dosage. I mean, everything, everything about that first experience was wrong. And so it's kind of, it's there as an example of what not to do. But since then, I was like 16 at the time. So since that time, I've never had a, I've never had a bad experience with psychedelics. And so if, if you, when, when you can consume them before, what is the, what do you just eat the whole mushroom? What, what, what have you done in the past as far as what do you consider like a good dosage for your experience, not for other it people? It depends on what you're doing. You know, if you want to have a really transformative experience on LSD, for instance, then, you know, 200 micrograms is, uh, I mean, the regular dose in the sixties when we were doing uh, purple microdots and orange sunshine, regular dose was about 300 mics which is now considered to be a huge dose because your average your average hit of lsd these days is about 100 micrograms and usually closer to about 80. but that's for that's for a full experience so um you know you can do 10 micrograms you can do a quarter of a hit and go for a walk in the woods with your friends and have a fantastic time so you know it depends on what you're doing if you're if you're with a you know trusted friend and you're in a really great environment you can you can do as much as you want it won't be a problem but if you're going to a party and it's you know it's in a basement and it's crowded and there's lots of stimulation you don't want to do a full hit of lsd because the first thing you want to do is leave you want to get out you want to go outside you want to go, go to the woods or the beach or the forest so it really does depend on where you are mushrooms are the same way you do a half a gram of mushrooms and you just feel quite pleasant People are microdosing these drugs. You know, it's very, very popular right now. They're microdosing 10 micrograms of LSD or a tenth of a gram 
of psilocybin and they don't actually get high you don't actually feel the effect but it acts you know almost like an antidepressant where it just elevates your mood it increases your serotonin levels in your brain and it just makes you feel a a, a bit more um you know a bit more uh, content a bit more happy less depressed less less anxious so they're being used in very small doses for that purpose but then you can you know you can do you can do larger doses if you feel really good about your surroundings and you know what you're doing and you've done it before and you should always work up slowly too you start low you're going to try LSD for the first time. You try a quarter of a hit at, at the most. And then you'll have a really pleasant experience. And then you can do a little bit more next time, a little bit more. You can always do more, but you can't do less. <laughs> You're in it for the, the long haul then, right? <laughs> it's the most common experience that you hear with LSD. People will say, oh, yeah, I did LSD and I took it. And 20 minutes later, nothing happened. So I did another one. And, you know, and then they do too much. And then the walls are melting. And then they think they're mad. And then, you know, blah, blah. And they have this terrible experience because they just did everything wrong. <laughs> Yes, so uh, I understand that very well. <laughs> it's not hard to get good information these days. There's a lot of very good sources on the net. I always recommend erowid.org. That's a great place for good information on, on dosage and frequency and, and the effects of these drugs. So there's no excuse to make these, uh, make these mistakes anymore because the information is out there. There's a lot of good books on it, a lot of good information. Is there a, a, a part of your book that you could share with us, a, a little tidbit that maybe um, like a little an experience you had or, or a, a really important um, point that you want to get across that we could have like a little snippet for people to, to understand more about what it's about? Um, well, there's a lot of experiences in a lot of different countries, but when, you know, when, I guess um, the first time I did MDMA was a really, really powerful experience. I was 40 years old. Uh, I'd never done MDMA before. I'd never heard electronic dance music before. And so a friend of mine is actually his son. So a kid that I knew since he was born, a kid that I used to babysit when he was a baby. <clears throat> and so he showed up at the door, dressed out in rave gear and stuff. And he came to visit me in Canada from England. He said, there's a new thing called rave and you should try it out. And it's new music and it's a new drug and blah, blah, blah. So I said, okay, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> So, awesome. I did a, so I did a nice big hit of MDMA and went to this rave and uh, it was life changing. You know, I um, I went into that place and uh, just got swept up in the music and the atmosphere and this climate of total freedom and this amazing group mind experience where everybody was just clicked into the same moment. It was a, I've done a lot of meditation in my life and um, that was the most powerful meditation I've ever done because it put me just right in the moment that nothing else was happening in the world. And I was just like felt absolutely 100% fulfilled, felt connected to myself, empathetic towards myself and towards everybody else there. And uh, yeah, I danced till dawn and walked out in the morning light and uh, was saved by the Church of Rave. Oh, saved. I love that. <laughs> you need to make a shirt that says that. Saved by the Church of Rave. Oh my so God. I was so impressed that I wrote a book called rave culture and insiders overview awesome. by jimmy fritz available in fine bookstores everywhere <laughs> perfect <laughs> the picture of the dalai lama on the cover there as a dj oh that's great so that was this is it's uh it's a primer for the global rave phenomenon it's a global overview of everything that was happening i wrote it in 2001 i think and um it's a global overview of everything i was so impressed with rave culture in general 
and my experience of it that um you know i wanted to spread that and also it was it was also getting a lot of bad press you know a bunch of teenagers on drugs and that really wasn't what it was about so although it was that as well but um it would it went way beyond that it was not it was not as frivolous as people thought it was i thought it was a really important social social and cultural musical revolution that um people should hear about so that was the impetus for that book to spread the love spread the word absolutely and i love what you said about about you know you were you were so in the moment and one of the things i think collectively right now with so many people like with adhd and you know it's hard to be present it's hard to meditate it's hard to stop your brain it's hard to stop your yep. mind from racing sometimes so like you're saying with these new um changes in in medicine um hopefully that will will help to anyone that's can has issues like that to be able to be present and be in the moment and yeah um, you know, to make meditation a little easier. Cause I know a lot of people have trouble just meditating in general because they can't, you know, stop their mind from racing. And they're always thinking about what they have to do later, or this or that, or the other things. Yeah. So, yeah. Great. No, it's difficult. Uh, it's difficult to get to a point. It takes, it takes actually months or maybe even years to, to get to be able to meditate properly. It's not just sitting quietly. It's actually, you know, it's actually letting go of letting go right <laughs> you know you let go of your thoughts but then after that you let go of the letting go and you just become completely still and peaceful but it is quite hard work I and mean, it took me it took me a few years really to to learn how to meditate whereas uh with mdma you can get there in 40 minutes right <laughs> <laughs> right right <clears throat> you know a, a huge i don't know if you've noticed this i know in in, in pennsylvania where we are um, in my area, there's specifically, there seems to be a really um, push for um, ecstatic dance. And, yeah. um, you know, and that coinciding with what you're talking about is kind of, I, I think that's kind of what the rave culture is is transforming into, or at least this is branching off from the rave culture. Um, where that's it's exactly, it's exactly what rave culture is and was, and mm -hmm. it's kind of changed a bit over the years now, but that that's what it was it was ecstatic dance it was right. group mind a group mind experience of ecstatic dance where you just get lost in the moment and taken by the rhythm and you just surrender to it and you completely disappear it is a it is kind of a very powerful meditation absolutely and it's hard to you know usually if you want to really go out and dance you're always worried about oh what, what do i look like what are the people going to think about i look like i'm dancing and at those kind of events it's so great because you don't care like I, i've been to several and it's great because i'm like i don't really care what it look like i'm just it's not about who's got the dance moves no it's no no you flowing with the energy and the music and yeah. your body just moving in any which way it feels like it it's it's great it's yeah the ego goes out the window and that of right. course is the goal of the goal of meditation is to dissolve the ego Absolutely. so ego ego dissolution is one of the common effects of uh psilocybin and lsd too is you lose your sense of self mm -hmm. once you lose your sense of self you you know those kinds of you know, anxious feelings or depressive feelings or self-conscious they're, they're gone because you don't have that perspective anymore once you dissolve the ego you you're you're free and that's what people talked about in the in the rave scene was that they 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 had a, a, a taste of freedom that they'd never felt before for the first time in their lives they felt absolutely free and uh, it's a very powerful experience. I saw, uh, I was, I, I, I promoted raves for, for about uh, eight years. 
did um, dozens and dozens of events and I saw people's lives transformed sometimes just after one experience you know they come in self-conscious nerds or whatever or you know all kinds of and they go out in the morning and they just blew their minds because they didn't know that that was even possible to feel that connected and that free and that in the moment and it was the first time they'd ever felt it so it was it was life-changing for a lot of people i saw you know hundreds of people's lives that were changed for the better through that experience so it was a it was a very powerful movement it's yeah. changed quite a bit now it's kind of split up into lots of different groups and different genres of music and so um you can still uh you can still find the odd real rave but uh, they're they're fairly rare these days that wave come i'm waiting for the next big thing you know the next new music the next new drug i'm good to go <laughs> <laughs> i agree uh, another thing i think is really profound along with the ecstatic dance is drumming um, yeah. Have you ever been to drum circles? Yeah, it's the same concept, yeah. but it's in the, it's a different, you know, modality. But uh, the feeling of the drum and that physical vibration, you get that physical vibration and the music yeah. and everything. And, you know, it's, it feels good. It feels good. I mean, it's, you know, you could, it's the other way to explain it. It feels freeing. It feels, you feel like you're really part of it, you know? Yes, it's exactly the same thing. It's like the shaman's drum. You're tuned. You're tuning into a repetitive rhythm, and that occupies your mind. It's like a mantra or a candle meditation, or you know, using a koan in meditation as you're repeating something just to occupy the mind. That that that's occupying occupying your mind while you <clears throat> while you go on a transpersonal journey. So it's it's actually it's exactly the same thing. Dancing to you know a, a, a drum or a or a you know trance track. Absolutely. It's really the same process that's going on there. We've been doing it for a long time, you know. We've been sitting around the campfire banging mm -hmm. on logs yep. since uh, since we had fire, you know. So. Right, right. So it's nothing, it's nothing new, but it's, uh, it's just a new version of it. Rave was kind of a turbocharged version, though. It was kind of a, a real, uh, you know, uh, a real explosive form of, of meditation, but very, very effective for a lot of people. One of the things I love that you were talking about is the fact that you have traveled and experienced all these things in different cultures. Could you share um, one of your experiences somewhere in another culture that might have been unique from your book? That um, yeah, well, I mean, the more you travel and the more cultures you see, the more you realize that it's all the same culture. So although there are different trappings and then different language and costumes or whatnot, really, wherever you go people are exactly the same everybody has the same concerns everybody has the same hopes and dreams everybody has the same desires you know the people are just the same everywhere you go so that's one of the things that struck me about you know, living and traveling in so many different countries is that wherever you go you find people <laughs> <laughs> and there's you know there's good ones and bad ones and you know, dodgy ones and all the rest of it, but the, the 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 scope is the same everywhere you go. It's not, it's not that different. Did you have any one place that you that was your favorite in particular, or one place that was most fascinating, or in particular, or anything? I'd say the most fascinating country has got to be India. Really? 
it's just another world. It's just a, a, a whole other reality or everything goes out the window in India. It's just this impossible mass of, of, uh, of culture and civilization and customs that you can't even fathom. I mean, even the Indians don't understand it or, you know, you'll, you'll ask them what's going on there. So I have no idea. You know, <laughs> who knows what that guy's doing? You know, it's, it's, it's really, um, it's really entertaining though, because you can, pretty much sit on any corner in any town, any part of the country and just sit there and watch the life go by and it will blow your mind. You see people walking down the street naked with ash on them and sadhus smoking chillums and people up to all kinds of weird stuff. What kinds of characters? But it, it's fascinating. It looks like it can't work because it's such, it's such chaos. It's just this massive humanity that's smushed together and but it seems to work, you know, in some strange, strange way. It seems to, um, you know, it seems to keep going and uh, everybody seems to have their place. One of the things you notice is that people are much more well adjusted in third world countries, you know, in these so-called poor countries. Um, they're much more what well, you, you'll see. Uh, you'll see lepers on the street in India. And you'll stop and talk to them and they'll be laughing and joking. And they, psychologically, they're, they're very well, much more well adjusted than people are in the West. Mm -hmm. I mean, people in the West are neurotic as hell. You know, everybody thinks they're nuts. Everybody thinks they're depressed. Everybody thinks mm -hmm. they need drugs to get through the day. It's, you don't see that in third world countries. You know, they're on the, they will look after each other. They're all very family orientated. They're very close. They, they, uh, they give each other, you know, psychological security. And we don't have that in the West. In the West, we're, we're much more isolated. We're all isolated in our little lives, in our little boxes, and we're all going nuts. We're all going crazy. Mm -hmm. And uh, so that's a, that's a difference, a big difference between third world countries and so-called first world countries. We have everything we need and we're going insane and they have nothing and they're psychologically, you know, sound. <laughs> right. No, that's such a good point. I, I know that that's a very interesting point about how people are and people that seem to have less seems so much more put together you know so much more Certainly less neurotic less problems less depression less I mean, anxiety. although they have you know 10 times more things to be depressed and anxious right. about they're not you know because they, they have it in a different perspective they have a different different frame on it we're just so convinced that, that everything's wrong. We're so convinced that everybody's, you know, flawed and everybody's damaged and everybody's got trauma and, you know, it's almost an obsession. Right. So when we talk about other um, psychedelics and things like that, have you ever tried, have you, are we talking about just like mushrooms, that kind of thing? Or are we talking like ayahuasca too? That, that kind of yeah, thing? ayahuasca is DMT basically. Okay. That's the drug that when you do ayahuasca is made from two plants. One of them has DMT and one of them has uh, harmaline. Harmaline is a MOA inhibitor, right? It's an MOA inhibitor, so it prevents the enzyme in your stomach from breaking it down so that it gets into your bloodstream. If you just eat DMT, it doesn't do anything because your, your enzymes in your stomach break it down and it becomes inactive. Whereas with harmaline, it prevents that and it gets into your bloodstream. So that's what ayahuasca is. It's just a delivery system for DMT. But there are many other ways of doing it. You can smoke DMT and that'll, that's the same effect. It's a faster, faster delivery system. So it's a more intense, it's a shorter, more intense. The other thing the Harmaline does is it, is it uh, prolongs the effect. 
So it lasts for hours rather than minutes. A very good way to do DMT is vape pens. That's very popular right now. And um, you put, uh, you suspend it in glycol or vegetable glycol and you put it in a vape pen. Then you've got perfect control over the dosage. You can take a tiny little hit and, uh, and feel, you know, feel groovy or you can take a couple of big couple of hits and and start to get that full-on experience or you can take three or four or five hits and uh, go to see the ayahuasca machine elves <laughs> so what would be the why do people then would they choose to go on the ayahuasca the retreats where they're consuming it and then they're going through all that getting sick and all that stuff what yeah what i don't i think a lot of that stuff is is phony Oh, okay. I think a lot of these people pretending to be shaman are uh, charlatans. They're selling a product, right? It's a very big business down there. Mm -hmm. They get these Westerners come in. They'll pay fortunes for a grass hut and a, and a hit of, <laughs> hit of <laughs> ayahuasca. And then you've got some guy pretending to be a wizard. Right. And, uh, <clears throat> and they think that they're, you know, they have some kind of magic powers. A lot of them are, a lot of them get into sort of animal spirits and, they're talking about gateways to other dimensions and all this. I don't, I don't believe any of that stuff. Um, and I don't think it's useful to psychedelic therapy to be creating supernatural worlds, you know, of the imagination. Um, I think you're better off dealing with it um, as useful tools, uh, you know, to change behavior and change psychology. But um, all this, uh, all this mumbo jumbo about uh, you know going off at light speed into geometric universes and meeting ayahuasca machine elves and being guided by the hand by Gandalf the Grey. Um, <clears throat> I don't really go think a lot of it's just people trying to make money off DMC. <laughs> so you would recommend anyone considering any kind of retreat like that to uh, really do their research first? Yeah, I'd be very suspicious. I mean, there are some well-intentioned people out there, and it is, you know, if you want to do, if you want to do psychedelics therapeutically, it's good to have a good therapist. But I'm not sure that these people are therapists. I think they're just people that think that they're, uh, you know, think that they're in the Lord of the Rings. So uh, I would, I would be saying if they're wearing a hat like a wizard, I'd, I'd start to get suspicious, you know. Yes. Carry a big staff, you know. You think, well, maybe they're not a real therapist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's okay. not to say that people there are there are, there are some ayahuasca retreats around here which are run by, you know, psychonauts basically people, people like myself. I mean, I could run an ayahuasca retreat because I I know the effects of these drugs. I know what they do. I know where people are at. I know how to you know lead them in and out. So, I mean, I could theoretically do. I'm not really interested in doing that, but. Um, people that have the have experience with psychedelics it's good to have someone like that around when you're doing a, a, a therapeutic dose but uh yeah all the all the supernatural and paranormal mumbo jumbo that goes along with it i've never i've never subscribed to that and what do you think is one of the most positive experiences you've ever had you did you ever have like at this besides the first time you've done and i know you said that was a breakthrough moment but did you ever have like a moment where something happened and you were just like oh wow this is beyond anything that i've ever experienced doing this 
Yeah, well, DMT is a very powerful experience, and it is. And I understand where all the notions of, uh, you know, other universes and, uh, you know, going through the portals to other dimensions, because it does feel like that, you know. It feels like you're traveling at light speed into another dimension. But, of course, it's, a, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's an effect that's happening in your brain. But it is absolutely astounding. It's remarkable. The first time I did DMT, I was just amazed that, that it was even possible that my brain could do that, you know. So, so outside of your everyday experience, you lose all reference to uh, to normal reality. I find it a little bit. I didn't find it that useful, actually. I find you know LSD did much more for me than DMT did. DMT was too much of a um, uh, too much of a shock. It was too extreme, and after the experience, I didn't really know what to do with it. Whereas LSD, you get a lot of real insights, which you can integrate into your life. Same with psilocybin, because they're, they're longer, more protracted trips. With the, if you smoke DMT, you're, um, you're uh, in, a, you know, in another space completely. You have no reference to this world whatsoever. And it's very, very fast. It all goes by so quickly that you can barely retain it. As you do it more often, you can, you can retain more of it. But it always seemed to me a bit too... Um, a bit too uh, harsh, a bit too fast, a bit too, uh, you know, extreme. So what are mushrooms considered? Is that more the LSD or a DMT? The psilocybin mushrooms. There's, um, there's about a, there's about 140 different mushrooms that contain psilocybin. Mm -hmm. Uh, the most common ones are Mexicana or Cubensis and, uh, psilocybin Pacifica around here. They grow wild. So there are, there are different mushrooms and, um, they all have slightly, but they all have the same drug, right? It's all psilocybin. Mm -hmm. So um, you can get synthetic. The ones that what they're using for therapy is is synthetic psilocybin. It's the active ingredient. So they're not actually eating mushrooms. So some people are, but you know, generally speaking, they'll be for for legitimate uh, psilocybin therapy. They'll be creating a safe source of um, of uh, psilocybin, which is synthesized. So that you can regulate exactly what it is and the dosage because mushrooms vary too you know it's a bit of a crapshoot sometimes you eat a mushroom and you don't know how strong it's going to be mm. so it's just a way of standardizing the dose but yes yeah, i mean some people some people prefer mushrooms to to lsd and some some people it's the other way around they do have slightly different qualities but um they all have similar applications in terms of the therapeutic use, I mean, even in terms of the recreational use. And um, is LSD found naturally, or is that a more of the synthetic? <clears throat> um, LSA is found naturally from er ergot, and uh, from from ergot, you get ergotine, and that reacts to LSA. So LSA, you could say, was a natural compound, but LSD itself is uh, is a synthetic compound invented by uh, Albert Hoffman in, uh, in the 50s, 1957, I think. And uh, yeah, he, he, he invented it accidentally or he synthesized it accidentally, didn't know what it was, took a massive dose and went off on his famous bicycle ride. <laughs> and, uh, he wrote about that. He wrote a book called My Problem Child. Uh, he died recently, he would, uh, died uh, a few years ago, just two or three years ago, mm -hmm. at the age of 100. Wow. And they all got back. To, they all got together and had a hundred his hundredth birthday party, and they found some of the original Sandos acid, which was in these little vials, 
the originally it was manufactured in in Switzerland by a company called Sandos, and it was you know the original uh, lysergic acid lysalamide, and so they found one of these one of these vials, which had been in this guy's drawer for almost sixty years, wow. and so they cracked it out for Albert's hundredth uh, birthday party. And they all did a drop and they said it was just as good as ever. <laughs> oh, so there's no shelf life. That's good to know. I guess not. I mean, it's supposed to be broken down by heat and light. So that's why, you know, generally you keep it in the fridge or the freezer in mm -hmm. a dark place because heat and light will break it down. But this was in a, this was at room temperature, but it was in somebody's drawer in a, in a wooden drawer. So it was dark mm -hmm. and cool. And it was also, air, you know, sealed in an airtight ampule, like a glass mm -hmm. ampule. So... Mm -hmm. So that preserved it. Yeah, and they said it was as good as the day it was made. Wow. <laughs> that would have been a hell of a good party, though. I bet. Love to see a fly <laughs> on the wall there, huh? Yeah. Or a participant. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't get an invite, yeah. <clears throat> I did send Rick Doblin a copy of my book, though. Actually, I sent him a copy of both my books. <laughs> oh, good. Did he, so, did you ever get a reply from him? Um. Yeah, he said he liked the first one. I haven't heard back from him for the second one. I just sent it to him a few months ago. It's a fairly new book. It's just published about six months ago. Well, that's cool. That's great you heard back from him. Yeah. So what um, if someone wanted to try to get into to experiment, is there are there ways how how can they how can they obtain some to try? Do you know ways that they could do that? That is, well, you've got to have a good source, right? So you've got to ask around and you've got to deal with people that you trust and you've got to deal with people that have uh, integrity. You know, it's a, you shouldn't be buying psychedelics off the street corner. Right. So, but there are people in the, you know, in the rave scene and in the psychedelic scene and in the burning man scene, and, you know, that have integrity and they, and they know what they've got and this stuff is tested and, you can be pretty sure if you find a good source that uh, that you're going to be fine. It's it's pretty much it's pretty available, I think, in most places. And do you think that that do you know of any of the pharmaceutical companies that are are taking the lead on this at this point yet, or is that still too early? I think they're all chomping at the bit. Are they? I mean, MDMA is definitely going to be um, up for grabs very soon. Um, there's a legal source of MDMA and psilocybin in Canada now. The government, the government has licensed uh, labs to make it, and so that's happening. And it'll happen in a lot of other places because once it's a prescription medication for something, the government has to provide a safe source. They can't tell you to go to your local rave to find right, right. MDMA. They have to have a legal, safe, tested, you know, trusted source. So that'll be happening more and more. And they do it, they do have it in Canada. I just found out there's a there's a lab producing pharmaceutical grade MDMA for uh, doctors to prescribe in Canada now. Wow. And there'll be more, you know, in as soon as uh, as soon as it becomes a prescription medication in the US, then I'm sure the pharmaceutical companies are lining up to do it. Now, do you foresee this being um, regulated like they do, like in, in, in our state, um, in Pennsylvania, it's marijuana. You have to have a medical marijuana card. Yeah. Kinds of, do you think it'll be that or do you think it'll just be one of those things like they do with like pain pills where your doctor just writes a script and you go to a regular pharmacy? Well, at first, it'll be prescription. 
and that that was the same with with marijuana too like in canada we had medical marijuana and you had to have a prescription from your doctor and then they were opening up medical marijuana clinics all over the place and people were just going in and buying it with a membership card mm -hmm. and now we have recreational marijuana is legal in canada on a national level so we have legal pot stores in every town now mm -hmm. so the same I imagine the same uh, same pattern will uh, will happen with psychedelics. First of all, there'll be legitimate therapeutic use and prescriptions, and then the, you know after that there'll be uh, hopefully uh, recreational use. In an enlightened society, we would definitely have recreational use of psychedelics. Um, how far we are from an enlightened society is another is another debate. I think we have a long way to go. So, but it took us, you know, I mean, I was campaigning for the legalization of marijuana 60 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> and it only just happened. So, you know, it's been a long haul. And I imagine it'll be, you know, I imagine it'll be a couple of decades before we get recreational LSD. Yeah. But uh, we're moving in that direction. That's definitely the way it's going. I don't think you can stop it now. I don't think you can go back and just make everything illegal again. Right. So, that that you know that being said it's got to move forward so it just depends on how fast and uh, you know how pervasive it will be but i'm sure we'll get there eventually and it's so surreal even now that marijuana is legal i mean we're, mike and i we're both in our 40s and i can remember back in high school when it was like oh you know and it was like and then the first time i even went into a dispensary I'm like looking around. I'm like, oh my god! I'm yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, I'm here to buy some marijuana. No, that still happens. Yeah, I'll be standing around outside in a park or something, and somebody will light a joint, and as they pass it around, they'll be you're looking around, you know, like, and I go, no, it's okay, it's legal. I know, I know. It's hard to get out of that habit when you've been like hiding it for for a lifetime, and then all of a sudden you can just smoke in front of a cop. Exactly. <laughs> they it's don't so care. It's like, oh, you know. Yeah. But times some, are changing, you know. Times takes, are really yeah, changing. Takes some adjusting for sure. <laughs> Apparently, we're going through some growing pains, but I think we're eventually we're heading in the right direction, hopefully. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. No, it's happening very quickly right now, surprisingly so. It's really, mm -hmm. I can barely keep up with the second to last chapter of my book. I kind of wrap up what's going on with psychedelic therapy around the world. And it was just when I researched that it was just so much information. I couldn't, you know, even just listing all the stuff would have been half the book, right? <laughs> so I just gave a, you know, a taste of this and that just to give the impression of what was happening. But it's, it was too much to even uh, to even, you know, talk about because it would uh, would take up half the book. So what do you think is the most important take I know you said before it was about destigmatizing, you know, all this, but what else, what else do you think is, is the most important take from your book that you really want people to, to know or to understand or learn from your book? Well, for one thing, to learn the difference between psychedelics, uh, you know, dumb drugs and smart drugs. Yes. Uh, the drugs that are useful and the drugs that are, um, are uh, you know, can enhance the quality of your life and the ones that don't and also the difference between people that do those two different kinds of drugs it's different it's a completely different kind of person and they do it for completely different reasons so that's an important distinction and i wanted to just show you know my 50-year experience uh, as a normalizer it was just for me it's always been just normal i mean everybody i've ever known has done psychedelics and um 
there's never been any issues. I haven't, you know, I've never had an issue with addiction or, uh, you know, any, any negative downside, any problems, psychological problems, like nothing. It's, it's always, and that's, I think, the norm. So that's what I wanted to present was a realistic experience of a, of a responsible life of psychedelic drug use. I think that's fantastic. And I love that you've done that. And I hope more people adopt that mentality and, and carry that on. Um, is there anything else that you could you show? Do you have any of your other books with you, you could show us so we can see what the covers look like and tell us how we can get them? This is Confessions of an Ethical Drug Dealer by Jimmy Fritz, a psychedelic travelogue and memoir. You can just uh, dial it up on the net and you'll find me. There's a nice picture of me there. <clears throat> the other one is Rave Culture and Insider's Overview by Jimmy Fritz. You can also find that on the internet just by typing in the name. They're all available on Amazon and all the regular places and you can order them in bookstores. Or, and uh, also I have a website called uh, jimmyfritz.ca and uh, everything is there. I'm also a musician. I've got 24 music videos of my original songs there. I've got five albums. I've got uh, screenplays. I've got um, uh, other other pieces of writing. And uh, <clears throat> there's lots of it. It's your one-stop entertainment center at jimmyfritz.ca. <laughs> jimmyfritz.ca. Yeah, check it out. All righty. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to meet you. Is everything okay in Canada over there? I want to check in with that first before we wrap oh, up. Oh, yeah, we're, we're all fine. Everyone's we're, good and healthy. We're safe. getting over it, yeah. Oh, good, good, good. <laughs> thank God. I know. It was so nice to meet you. I'm definitely, definitely, definitely going to be checking out all your books. And, um, okay. you know, it would be awesome to meet you sometime. So hopefully maybe sometime we can run into each other somewhere. Okay, I might see it a rave somewhere. Hey, right. hey, maybe a burning man. Back in the middle going like that. <laughs> I would love to go to a rave with you. So <laughs> if you're ever in the Pennsylvania area or whatever, know of any that's a halfway point, you let me know. Maybe we can maybe we can meet up somewhere. All right, sounds fun. good. All right. Thank okay, you take so care. much. Bye-bye. <laughs> $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.